Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Storytelling is a word that gets thrown around a lot in marketing circles these days. But from a company perspective, what does that really mean? Why do we tell stories? And as marketers, why do we care? Joanna Rudnick is an Emmy-nominated filmmaker who understands these questions and the answers, so I thought it would be good to ask her. She's currently the creative director at the Linus Group and a masterful storyteller. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. ACPLS provides marketing, sales, and customer service professionals opportunities for ongoing education, networking, and professional development. Those networking and development opportunities have been very valuable to me personally. I think they'd be equally valuable to anyone listening to this podcast. So to learn more, visit acp-ls.org. And while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter so you can receive content and activity updates. Now let's get back to the show. Joanna Rednick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I'm really excited about this one. I think this one's going to be really fun um, because storytelling is something everybody's into right now. And I have two primary goals. I hope we'll hit them both. And one is to help listeners understand the elements of a story and how those fit in the context of creating um, brand stories. And then the other one is different ways the life science companies can use stories in their marketing. Sure. So just so we're starting all from the same place, why, why do we care about stories at all? That's a big question. Uh, we care about stories because they're, they're what makes us human. They're how we relate to things that are inanimate. They're how we um, think about our work and make sense of our world and make sense of the goals and the visions we have. They're why we sort of went into these fields in the first place. You know, there was something that inspired us. There could have been a story we saw or a story we told ourselves about what it meant to be a scientist, to be a physician, and why we wanted to be in that story and create that story. You know, ultimately, again, it just, it's just what makes us understand our world. I love that because I, I think it's absolutely true, but we don't think of that. It's so part of our lives that we don't realize the story that we're creating for ourselves. And, and that everybody you work with has a story that's the reason they do what they do. Um, so I'm interested in the process of when you're working with a brand, how, how you find out either they have a story or you're looking for the things that will make a great story. And I'm thinking in the context, I don't know if you follow Anne Handley at all, but she's always talking about telling a bigger story mm-hmm. than what might first come to you. And that's exactly the same approach I take. I mean, one thing, I think brands have personalities. And there are people behind every brand. And there is a mission and a vision behind that brand and what that brand wants to be. So trying to tap into that. But I think you hit it for me. It's the bigger story. It is what, how do you manifest that brand into a story? And what do you want people to feel? You know, we all feel something when we see Apple. We all feel something when we see a brand that's very consistent like GE has done a really fantastic job of creating a brand story using storytelling, but a very particular type of documentary verite storytelling. 
to encapsulate that brand. And to me, when a brand is so confident to stand back and say, you can tell our story without actually talking about what we do. So it's not about the products that we sell. You can look at a poster with Think Different on it, and it's Gandhi. And it's not a picture of an Apple computer. There's no mouse in that picture. There's no keyboard. There's no hardware. There's nothing about it. But that is the ethos of what that brand is. That's the philosophy. And that, and you feel something. If I think I saw Think Different with a picture of a computer, I don't know that that emotional register would go off. And I think that's what brands are learning. You can put your logo on the back and tell a bigger story and stand for something. Yeah. So the, the key word you mentioned there was confidence. So how do you get a company that's not GE to be confident about what they stand for? That's a really, really good question. And I think that um, there's trailblazers from other fields that are going there. And I think, to me, life science is catching up. Um, I think you can show them that it works. You know, I think you look at what, how is a brand successful at having that persona out there? How do other people try it on? You know, I mean, I think just also looking at brand lift and other metrics. I mean, there are metrics out there, but sometimes it's hard to measure when you are telling that, as you said, more confident story. How does that actually trickle down to how many instruments you sell, you know, in a particular division? So I think that's another thing. How do you actually tell, tell a brand this is a long term? You know, this is a long-term investment right. that you have. And again, you know, if someone changes that association of who you are over time, that's going to completely transform the way that you're going to be perceived in the future. Right. So, I, you know, I, I think confidence is a very, it, it's a very, it's a tough, it, it, you know, I mean, it's oftentimes I say to people, what moves you? Let's look at these two things. We can present you this way. And this is completely in the details. This is right down to product. Or we can step back and really be a leader and, and, and tell a thought leadership story and stand for something. And how does that make you feel? How is that going to make your customers feel eventually to associate you in a different way? How can you really be a partner and not just in sales, but a partner to this end client? So I, I think a lot about that. It's a relationship at the end of the day. Yeah. So content marketing is all about that long game. So the question popped into my head. Now I have to ask it. So a, a newer company or a younger company who, who may feel confident and have a story to tell, there's still priorities about budgets and when they're going to see a return and so on. Exactly. And I think there's, I think those companies to me are the, the more difficult companies to have this conversation with because um, it's a very frightening time. You know, and you don't have that money, and you're thinking, should I be putting this into marketing or should I be putting this into my sales force? And what is the return on investment? And 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 and, and oftentimes, what I see though, I see those companies um, sort of taking this kind of um, putting very little money into it, so doing their sort of brand video that they haven't really thought through, and they just want to have a video on their homepage or they want to just have a story, and then they actually come back to us at Linus and say, you know what? We don't think we really got it right the first time, or may, this video really isn't isn't um, telling who we are, and we're not even sure we're really that company, you know. And these are just talking heads. So to me, the idea is, you know, to do it right, to do it right originally. You know, that investment. If you actually figure out who you are and what that story is, that story should last and grow with you. Yeah. You shouldn't be having to retell your story every two years, and that's what I see over and over again. 
And, and that to me is if you just stop and do it right the first time from inquiry, from the process that we go through, talking to your customers, doing all of that sort of qualitative research that we do, um, and then really sort of getting at the heart of what do you stand for? Asking those big questions and not being afraid to answer them. Then to me, once you get that umbrella right, you're going to be able to be cohesive in all your product marketing, and you're going to still be able to support that big story. Right. Okay. So that answered my next question was what's that first step for those newer companies that they should be thinking about. Just yeah, and here's where I sort of want to bring in my background. So, you know, I, I'm a trained documentary filmmaker. I was a science journalist, and then I went to, you know, I worked at PBS, and that was where I sort of grew in my career in social issue documentary. And ultimately, at the end of the time, at the end of the day, I think about what's a good story. So, you know, I want people to actually be invested so Linus is a particular model, you know, what, what is, you know, persuading scientists, and we think a lot about what is the psychology of that customer, um, and how do you go out with a provocation and an insight that somebody cannot ignore? And to me, that's what storytelling is, ultimately, is if, if I don't provoke you in the right way, and I don't tell you something you want to hear, you're going to go right by me. You're not going to be interested to hear the story. So at the end of the day, it has to be a good story. It's why product videos have the lowest number of views, product demos, I should say, have the lowest number of views when you look at it. You know what has the most views? Your holiday video. Why? <laughs> because you're not afraid to be funny. Yeah. Because you're showing some personality, you know, because you're going off script. So to me, that confidence to take those chances is where, so ultimately, sorry, you know, to go back to your question, I start with story. What is going to make a good story? And at the end of the day, what do you want to stand for? And tying those two things together. But you have to really have a story that takes people through from the beginning to the end. And that's not only video storytelling. I do come from video, but that's also interactive. I think mm -hmm. about what's sort of a delightful experience. When I'm drawn in, what's going to keep me there? What's actually going to speak to my interests? You have to put yourself in the body and mind of your customer to think about what they actually want to hear. It may not be what you want to tell them, but what do they want to hear? Absolutely. I love all that. So let's now we're into the story part of it, and I would like to go under the hood. So you mentioned you're a documentary filmmaker, and um, we've talked about this a little bit before, and you mentioned that you're trying to take someone someplace, but mm -hmm. you film without a script, and... Um, the magic you say is in the editing. So what are you looking for when you're filming without a script to find um, how to push someone's empathy button and make them feel something? Sure. So that's a good question. And, and we do come at it here as a, as a slightly different approach. A lot of people script everything. Um, and we do script uh, live action. So that is a place where, of course, we do script. Um, we prepare like crazy. So even though we come at it and we take more of a verite approach, we think about what the story that we're trying to tell and what the ultimate goal goal is and how we're going to tell the story um, for in an absolutely rigorous pre-production process where we are casting the people who are going to be in the story. We're thinking about what we're shooting every day down to the equipment that we're using and the emotion you're going to feel from a dolly shot. So we're really taking almost a more cinematic approach to setting all of that up where, where we sort of let what we say the serendipity or the magic happen is when we're in the field and we've set up a situation we do actually allow things to unfold a little bit so i do go in with questions i'm actually notorious for writing out all my questions putting them under my leg and then sitting and having a conversation with you just like we're having now because i think people actually when you let them speak and you let them speak from the heart will again give you that motivation 
So uh, certainly the empathy button, um, as you said, we shoot things that we think are going to move you. So we, we try to get it. You have to get it in the field. Yeah. But how you construct the story is in the editing. Um, and that's the same way it is in documentary and in Hollywood and, you know, just an edit of two things together. So one of the things that um, a video, and we can certainly even play a clip if you can, um, is a video that we did for GE. It's an example um, that I like to refer to. When we set out, we told the story of a GE scientist who's also a photographer to talk about the move um, to more automated Western blotting. But what happens when you have an art form like Western blotting, where you're sort of there's a lot of voodoo to it and magic to it, like black and white photography, but then you move to a more automated world? Can you still be an artist, right? Very different than just coming in and saying Western blotting needs to be auto- automated to make it more reproducible, right? We're yeah. actually telling you a story. Uh, but when we set out to shoot it, I thought, wouldn't it be neat? because everyone knows the feeling of looking at the report out of a Western blot, if we actually put that on a photo subject of what he was photographing, because you're in his mind then. Because that makes you feel something, and it ties it together. So we picked this amazing place in Wales that had these incredible rock formations, and we actually, using animation, which is another emotional element and can further your story and can deepen your relationship with that content, we knew going into it that we were going to use animation. We didn't know exactly how. So we, so that's how much preparation we're doing right. down to. You can't really do those things just in the editing. You have to plan for them. But how that animation came in, and it comes in like a wave from left to right. I wish you could see it. Um, but how that animation comes in um, is emotional. And it works with the music. So we're really using cinematic elements to move you more emotionally. So when I think about the other side of that is sort of the talking head, um, as we say, you know, um, and that's sort of the, the person shot, you know, in medium shot and interview who's talking at you. And it's very, even if they're saying the most compelling thing, um, you need to really edit that with other things around it to bring you into what that person's thinking. So we're trying to bring you as close as we can. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's uh, it's fascinating that it is in the preparation. So you do have a plan for what you're trying to get. And you, obviously you have enough experience to, to look for those things and let them happen and and capture them and then and look for opportunities, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I go into the edit. So, you know, I'll come out of the field and I'll go into the edit with a real idea of what the story should be. And I'll even think usually, like, maybe we start in this scene and we go here, so you know, and, and then work with the edit the editor to get there. But serendipitous things do happen, you know. You do get just that right look from someone. I mean, we're kind of, you know, that's the way you're thinking about it. Is what is the expression right now that I can show from you? That's actually going to give that audience that feeling that we want, and that is down to the level of detail in the edit that we're thinking about things. But um, going back to preparation, we prepare like crazy at the beginning. We really do. We talk a lot with the people we're going to film before we get into the field with them. Yeah. So we try to do a lot of conversations with them. I need to understand the way you normally do things. So what I say to a scientist, for instance, um, to be more concrete. So I'm going to film a scientist. Um, you know, rather than say, I want you to stand in the lab and do X, you know, um, I say, tell me about your day. You come in. What, what kind of coffee do you drink in the morning? You know, how do you come in? What door do you come in through? What's the first thing you do when you get into the lab? Who do you check in with? I want to understand how you really do it rather than tell you what I want you to do. Um, Not that I don't ever tell you what to do, but I understand what you normally do. So that's the level of preparation we're doing ahead of time. Nice. Um, So 
I'm going to pause here for a second. Um, so are you looking for, so when I think of stories, I'm looking for um, either some element of uncertainty because you don't want you you want to know how something will turn out, sure. And you want to know what that transformation is, and sometimes maybe it's both or it's one or the other. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So there always has to be you always have to have something that has a beginning and a middle and an end, and that's sort of the basic of storytelling, right? We have to start somewhere with you. We've got to keep you interested, and oftentimes there's a turn of events, right? And then we have to end somewhere that you feel sort of satisfied that you have um, watched something unfold and that you feel you're right there with it, right? Yeah. And you don't know everything. If you feel like you... So a lot of times that's also when do you introduce information. Um, one of the things that I think that people often fall into, which can be a very big mistake, is they want to give you all the setup right at the beginning. So you get a big text card at the beginning that's telling you everything you need to know. And they feel like... If they pluck you into an environment, you're going to be so confused and so uncomfortable, you're going to want to jump out of it. Where I actually believe a little confusion at the beginning is okay. And that people, when you tell people information is when they're starting to ask that question. So that's all also a timing and a dance. So I don't have to give you a big text card at the beginning that tells you everything we're doing and everything. Because why watch if I'm giving you everything? But as soon as you have that question, I need to make sure that I'm answering it. Yeah. So that timing is a lot about how I think about storytelling is that when you provide information and when you hold it back and when you deliver it is all the arc of the story that I'm going for. And that's exactly what we're thinking about in the editing room. Nice. But now I feel like we're looking at the secret sauce. Yeah, that's a little that is a, that's a little bit of, that is a little bit of the secret sauce and I think it's also one of those pitfalls to avoid. Because I feel like people often, you know, say, "But I didn't understand exactly where we were at that moment." And they don't give their audience enough credit to understand that they'll still go with you a little bit. As soon as they really have the question is when you have to answer it, certainly. You don't want people to be confused. But if you give them everything right away, why are they staying? So I think you've got... Yeah, curiosity is essential. Exactly. Curiosity is everything. You pique their curiosity, they're going to come along with you. They're interested in the story you're telling. So, you, you, you know, if you give them everything and you answer every question, you are maybe actually going to actually get their skepticism, right? Is get what's going to come up. And that's what you don't want. Yeah. Right? So that's very much how we think about that is when do you introduce information? And, and you know, and, and that's what you control in the edit, right? That's sort of what's such a beautiful part yeah. of it. So, you know, even though we talk about verite filmmaking, we're very much building out and how we put things in and how we use that what we've caught in the, uh, captured in the field as I said to you early on is all in the editing and when people come to us and talk to me about making a film and they say you know um, you know I'm going to script it all and then I'll just have an editor put it together you know then the editor's not really playing that role your editor should be your secondary storyteller linking that back to um, other kinds of marketing I I I watch a lot of marketers and they talk about, and copywriters, opening an information gap. Hmm. Have you heard that phrase? So you're, you're trying to create a gap in someone's knowledge sure. that they feel compelled to feel mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. to fill. And that's, I mean, you can do that in copywriting, you can do that in, in sure. filmmaking as well. I mean, that's the thing that makes people want to keep going. Exactly. So I think that I probably just, because I approach everything from that other, um, the, the, that coming from the other side of it, which is interesting too, right, is to, I've, I've actually really enjoyed coming into marketing, but with a different set of eyes and realizing how much overlaps, but also realizing how much we can learn 
in marketing from from traditional storytelling. You know, oh, going yeah. back to just the roots of how people tell stories and everything we've heard that you asked about Hero's Journey. You know, it's all of those roots are really what we're trying to use. And I think that idea of the information gap is absolutely a lot of what I was saying there. You know, there's something you want to know. You also sometimes just want to know how something ends. Yeah. How is a story going to end, right? Why Why do I want to watch this? What, what do I need? I know everything about this subject. Why would I watch this? Maybe we're going to tell you about it in a different way. We're going to make different connections that you haven't made. We're going to allow you to hear from people who don't normally talk to each other or work with each other. So we have to set up a situation, in my mind, that provides you with that information, as you said, that information gap, that information you can't get elsewhere or you don't think you have. Because you will not pay attention to us if you feel like you already have the answer. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's... Every time we do any storytelling here, any single campaign, the question I always ask of my entire team is why would anyone want to know this? What are you telling me that I don't know? Why am I interested? Why is this helping me out? Why is this furthering my understanding here? You know, and I think we have to continually ask that question or else marketing becomes fluff and it's so easy not to pay attention to it. And I think we do really, I, I am actually really committed personally to giving people interesting information in a new way. Yeah. And to entertaining them and making them move, move them. I actually think it can be like filmmaking. We, hide, we hold filmmaking up here and marketing down here. And I don't think they have to be so far away from each other. Good marketing can feel like really good filmmaking and good storytelling, you know. And I shouldn't say filmmaking. I should say storytelling because it's not always video. But video does, when you pair imagery with sound and all of those things, you kind of have a great toolbox. You can do that in writing. Good copywriting is emotional. Oh, yeah. So emotional. The best copywriting, it's amazing. You get the right two words together with the right image and you have an emotional experience. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's the art. And you know, one of the things I like to, you know, the mission or the vision of my business is that we make marketing as innovative as the science we're trying to sell. And, I love that. And Absolutely. It should be. We've got the best subject in the world. That's why I'm in life science marketing, because I love the subject matter. This is emotional. This is exciting. It's enthralling. It's, you know, what is moving us forward. And we've got the best material ever to work with. We should be able to tell great stories. <laughs> yeah. And I, I say this outside of work, even like often the world needs as much art as it does science. And so here's an opportunity where art can help science. I was thinking the same thing. Just like science helps art. I mean, I don't know if you use a digital camera. I'm assuming you <laughs> do, right? It, they need each other, There's right? a science that helped art. Now you take that art and you give it back to science and make something cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think they need each other. And I think, you know, some of my favorite projects, and this is something Hamid and I really share, is the idea of scientists and artists working together. Um, and I have a project coming up, uh, a storytelling project that's going to bring a designer together with engineers and um, um, and clinicians uh, and um, and you know and uh, I-, I love that idea of coming together and talking and those re- that's how innovation moves forward is when we work together. One of my favorite examples of that is, um, and I me- I think I mentioned this on other podcasts, but um, do you know Chris Hadfield? 
the astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. I so I listened to a podcast with him. So I think he's personally the most interesting man in the world. I heard an interview with him. His life story is so phenomenal. But the video he made of the David Bowie song um, from the space station, um, you know, Major Tom. Oh, God. Right, it's called right. Space Oddity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and he was talking about that. And it was, and the interviewer asked him what made that thing. You know, 25 million views, I think. And he said, wow. it's the intersection of art and science exactly. right there. And he's putting art on top of one of the most advanced science projects you can imagine. And he's using art to get you close to what he felt. I mean, yeah. I think also sometimes to me, my favorite, like, favorite storytellers are physicians and scientists who understand the way to let... It's why I went to journalism school for science and environmental and health journalism because I felt like there's you know, so many interesting things to say from scientists and physicians who are so close to the subject matter, but then there's this gap where the public feels like they can't, this information is not for them. You know, it's, it's too far away. And I wanted to open that up. And to me, some of my favorite writers are, are scientists and physicians who found a way to let you into that world. And that, to me, is that example of using David Bowie and the music to bring us to something that's so far away and we can't touch, but to allow us to get close to it, to be able to touch it, you know, that is the most amazing thing storytelling can do. And that, that's what I aspire to every day, is how can you get closer and closer and closer to that thing? And that's where science actually has created these incredible tools to allow us like interactive tools, simulation tools. We're, we're moving towards virtual reality and I can't mm -hmm. <laughs> wait to start using it um, because I think that's really what's exciting now is that the science is allowing us to even get closer and the art is that the vehicle of communication. Nice. So I'm going to wrap up with one last question. If you have one piece of advice for marketers who want to tell their own brand stories, what would it be? It would actually be to, to make the investment in time to be able to do it and finances, to be able to say, we want to do this right and we want to actually um, talk to everyone and we want to listen um, and we want to take the time to figure it out. But, but more so than that, I would say it goes back to confidence. I want to take this full circle. You can be about something bigger. And that's really what's going to last. That's what people are going to remember. And it's really figuring that out, how to be brave enough to say, our logo doesn't have to be on every single frame of this or on every single thing. What do we want to stand for? What do we want to convey? And that's powerful. That sticks with people. That will always stick with people. So to be able to back up and stand for something better, bigger is my biggest advice. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you so much for everything you've done it, so you. for the listeners they don't know that we're sitting in the same room which is not how I usually do this my cheeks hurt because I'm enjoying it so much I've been <laughs> smiling too. the whole time and um, we will definitely I think we'll link or embed the GE video about the photographer will that Beautiful. work? Absolutely. and then where else can people go to see more of your work? Uh, so we're trying to get more of that up on the Linus um, uh, uh, YouTube channel and on um, our website. So that's coming to my personal work, um, it, um, my, my previous work, I should say, in the family and on beauty. Um, you can look at, go to YouTube and watch the trailers for those. Highly recommended. You know, 
Thank you. (laughs) All right, Joanna, thanks very much. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this show. If you're enjoying the podcast, um, I have a favor to ask, and that is would you please share it with a a colleague or someone else you know who who would benefit from it? If we can get um, more listeners to the podcast, we can attract more great guests to share their brilliant marketing ideas with all of us. And so thank you very much in advance, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.